Welcome. You're listening to the Mac Observer's Background Mode. I am your host, John Marchalero, and this week my guest is Josh Centers. Josh, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me back, John. Josh Centers is the managing editor, is the managing editor of Tidbits, as well as the author of many take control books, notes, home automation, Apple TV, co-author of a Take Control Preview. He's also published Take Control of iOS 13 and, I, and iPad OS 13. And he's recently joined The Prepared as an editor. And this is his seventh appearance on Background Mode. It's nice to have you back. Thanks for having me back. Since you're working on Take Control of iOS and iPad OS 14, I thought we'd talk about iOS 14 in the first half of the show. All right. So tell me, how, how far into it are you and how far is the book and where do you stand and what do you think of iOS 14 and what do you think some of the coolest features are? Well, on the book right now, actually I can tell you, I got the, I got the manuscript open. I, I have 91 pages into it and the goal is to get it over 100 pages. And uh, with this book, we're, we're doing something different. So I've been uh, basically writing the same book since iOS 8. We, we started off uh, in what we call the crash course format, which is a two-column format with a lot of images. And then uh, sometime around when Joe Kissel took things over, I, around iOS 10, maybe iOS 11, we, we turned it into just a regular take-control book, but it was mostly the same text going over a lot of the same iOS basics. And so this year we decided to scrap uh, everything we've, we've been working on for years and instead of refreshing that old text, we're actually, uh, or actually I am <laughs> rewriting it from scratch to focus strictly on the new features. What was and, driving that? Was it uh, audience reaction and feedback, or was it to drive uh, wider uh, wider sales? What was driving that decision? It, you know, I think it was mostly just a sense that uh, it just gotten stuffy over time, and also Apple's own resources for iOS basics um, have gotten a lot better. Like one of the big things with the old editions of the book was that, you know, it'd go over a lot of the basic stuff in iOS and it would also document in detail um, all the new features. And Apple has gotten much better about documenting the minutia uh, every year. And, that, and that's been the case for a couple of years now. And Apple also has its own excellent resources for the basics, like the iPhone user manual or the iPhone user guide and the, the iPad user guide. Um, they also produce a lot of videos and things like that. So instead of trying to compete with Apple, uh, you know, we thought we'd, we'd try something new. We'll see how this works and uh, just focus on the new stuff and show people how to use the new stuff. And that way, you know, the people who've been reading, buying and reading the book for years, aren't just having to just skip over the stuff they already know to get to the new stuff. So, uh, you know, like I said, we'll just see how it works. We'll see how people respond to it. What impressed you most about iOS 14? The app library, uh, I mean, really above everything, though, the app library. I want to say the app library and the home screen widgets. The widgets are nice. Um, you know, it's nice to finally have that because, uh, I mean, I, I had an Android phone like a decade ago that they could do that stuff. Uh, but the app library in particular is really nice. Now, of course, that's also another feature taken directly from Android because in Android you have the app drawer uh, where all your apps live, and then you can drag them onto your home screen and arrange them however you want. And it's more like just shortcuts. And uh, the, the app library feature is very similar 
Um, but of course, in typical Apple fashion, it's executed much better. And so I have, I have an iPhone 11 Pro with like 256 gigabytes of storage, and I have an absurd amount of apps on my phone. Mm. Uh, I just I download them constantly. I'm sure you probably do too, working at Mac Observer, because you're just constantly evaluating things, and you know you'll download like five or six apps, and might use one of them, and just forget about the rest. And uh, so, you know, your home screens just get junked up. Uh, I think that's true with everybody. I mean, you don't even have to be like a like an Apple journalist or anything. It's just uh, like my wife's phones. She's got like 50 pages of apps and folders, and it's just a big mess. And wow. so the very, first, the very first thing I did was to open the app library and figure out how I could hide uh, uh, the, you know, some of the extra home screens. So I hit on the your wife's phone you did this? No, no, on my phone. Oh, uh, be I, careful I messing with one's wife's phone in a beta. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't put betas on her phone. I need a reference device after all, right? Um, so, yeah, the very first thing I did when I installed it was, like, I just hid all of those extra pages of apps and uh, just got down to a home screen and uh, uh, another screen where I just keep a few more apps and some widgets. And uh, it's so much nicer. It's so much nicer not having to dig through all that stuff. And, you know... I think it's a recognition by Apple of how people really use their phones and how people really launch apps because I think most people, you probably have, of course, your main page, your favorite apps on your main page or not favorite and your most used. And then you might have some secondary apps on, on the next page. And then beyond that, you know, it's it's just a jumble. And it's just, I, I think for most people, it's easier to use the search. Um, so it's nice that app library not only automatically categorizes your apps and places them into uh, pre-made folders, but also has that built-in search function. So I, I just think it's a it's a, a acknowledgement of this is how people actually use their phones, and uh, you know whether it's uh, ripping off Android or not, who cares? It's going to make things better for the user. So what I took think, them so long. Probably what took them so long was to get a license from Google, <laughs> or just. Or, or just not caring whether because whether anyone, the, the ripping Google off or not because you know in my initial coverage for tidbits I just like marked off every major feature of iOS I was like yeah Android did this years ago <laughs> you know I mean it's just true it's just true and some people got a little snippy about that I'm like well it's just true I mean it's not bad you know I I, I would like even more features from Android and and, and likewise. Of course, you know, Android borrows a lot from the iPhone. I mean, Android is originally like a BlackBerry knockoff. And, and the second the iPhone, you know, was debuted, they totally reworked it. So, I mean, let's not pretend that this isn't two-way street. Is the phone call UI as big a deal as some people think? I mean, I don't know how big of a deal it is. It's uh, for, for people who don't know what we're talking about. I've heard so uh, many complaints about that. Explain to us. Tell us about it. Yeah, so so Apple's uh, doing something they call compact UI, and they're taking a lot of things that for years in iOS have taken up the entire screen, and they're shrinking them. So, for instance, uh, when you get a phone call in iOS 14, it's just a little banner notification. It's no longer just takes over your whole screen. Um, and uh, what am I thinking of now? Uh, what else takes up your whole screen? So, like the search. An iPad OS 14 also doesn't take up your whole screen. Oh, and Siri. Siri also no right. longer takes up your whole screen. You get like a little glowing bubble thing at the bottom of the screen, and then it shows the answers at the top, which I don't really know how much better that is because, uh, I mean, it still takes up a good deal of your screen anyway. Um, 
Now, I personally wasn't that annoyed by by calls taking my whole screen. So, uh, hopefully, people appreciate it. And, and uh, I was trying. It was my son's birthday uh, just the other day, and I was taking a video of him blowing out his candles, and and somebody some spammer called me and it just totally messed up the like because you can't record video while you're you know while the phone's ringing so that that doesn't fix my issue <laughs> with mm. it right and so um but yeah it's it's cool it's nice i mentioned it in the book um i think what it derives know, but, from as i recall is that in the early days of the phone the, the phone had to always respond you had this slick operating system this unix operating system and then you had a, a telephone modem in there mm-hmm. and it had to have priority one and nothing could interrupt a phone call. You couldn't have some background task or some app interfering with the ability to, you know, make an important phone call. And so because it was so high priority, they just figured, well, you know, this is the only thing running. This is the only thing that's got the operating system's attention right now. We'll just go full screen. It just seemed like a logical thing to do. Well, and it was also in the day that, you know, you didn't have an app switcher. You didn't really have multitasking as it exists now. Uh, you didn't even have, I'm trying to remember what notifications were like back then, because you didn't even have like notification center. You didn't, I don't think you had the banner notifications, did you? It was like everything just kind of popped up on the screen. Um, so, so, you know, a lot's changed there. So, I mean, it's, I think it's a good change. It's a necessary change. Um, something I've actually uh, been writing about recently, kind of here at the end of the book, because it took me a while to figure out, but I think could potentially be a big deal, is in uh, messages. You can uh, th- they're giving you more tools to um, to manage group conversations. And one of the really cool things, it took me the longest time to figure out how to do this. But uh, so if you tap and hold on a message, uh, you can actually reply to a specific message, and then that gets threaded. So just like in Slack or in Gmail, um, you have these uh, these message threads inside of a group message. And so I don't know if people will use that much. I don't know if people will be able to figure it out uh, without the book, of course. But, uh, you know, I, ho- I kind of hope it catches on because, you know, some of these big group messages you get into – they can get very messy, you know, people talking about different things, uh, and, you know, so this is a way to group ideas and specific conversations together, uh, which, I, which I think is uh, a potentially a good thing if they haven't hidden the UI too much. Um, I'm just looking through the rest of the book right now. Oh, yeah, widgets. a chance to work on Translate? Okay, let's do widgets and then do Translate. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Translate. I actually have to open right now. The translate thing is cool. I like the UI. It seems to work well. I do love the fact that you can download languages for offline translation. I think that's a really important thing. I don't think Google does that. I could be wrong. Um, uh, the translation seems fine. I'm not a, a linguist or anything, so I can't, uh, you know, I can't really tell you like, oh, yeah, this is a good translation. This is a bad translation. Uh, there's a good variety of languages. Uh, you know, it's not just like English and Spanish. There's like, you know, Japanese, Russian, um, you know, just all kinds of stuff. And, and so uh, and it has a very nice, clean UI. And one of the things I like, and I hope this gets expanded to other places, there's a dictionary feature. You tap this little dictionary icon, this little book icon, and then it goes into like like an automatic text selection mode, right? So 
you know, text selection in iOS, they've tried to refine it, but it's still pretty awkward. You have to, you know, press and hold on stuff and wait for it to get selected and drag the little drag handles around. Well, when you go into this dictionary mode, just every word you tap gets selected and it shows you the definition. And it can do that in either the input or the output language, which is cool. Um, so that's something I would like to see uh, come to other th- uh, other apps in iOS. I like to be able to just press a button and just be able to you know select things by tapping on them. Oh, and uh, uh, before I forget, I guess we should talk about the Scribble thing, right? Because that's kind of important. So uh, iPadOS 14 has a feature called Scribble. That's like uh, the Newton uh, of your, where you can you can write stuff with your own handwriting, and it turns into actual like uh, formatted text. And uh, it's neat. I'm sure some people will like it. I, I personally find it kind of frustrating, uh, some of the gestures and things. But uh, I'm sure it'll be a big deal uh, for some people. Um, so yeah, the widgets. Uh, I like them more than I thought I would. Um, Tell me about widgets. The, what do they do? So okay, so so we've we've had them in a while. We had them a while in iOS. Uh, but they were limited to the today view, which, you know, if you're on the first home screen or if you're on the lock screen, you swipe from uh, left to right. And then, you know, you, you, uh, it shows you the date and time and other stuff. Yeah, and you yeah. can, you know, add all these, you can add these little widgets. And of course, people don't know what I'm talking about. A widget's like a little, a little bubble on screen, a little window on screen that just holds a small amount of information or might have some sort of interactive element, you know, like the like the weather forecast or, you know, right, things right. like that. Right now in 13, so what does 14 do? Yeah. Well, it does two things. First of all, it's it totally redesigns the built-in Apple widgets. And I'm guessing third-party apps are, going to have to re- are expected to redesign theirs as well. They're, they're much more... Uh, they're much more Apple Watch like, if that makes any sense. They they look like little Apple Watch screens, is the best way I can put it. And one of the interesting things is Apple really discourages uh, people from putting like interactive elements in. It. So you're not going to have a widget that has like play, pause, stuff like that. It'll show you the current track, and you can tap it, and it'll take you. Oh, make sure I'm not talking out of my ear here, but you know. So uh, they kind of limit the interactivity there. Uh, but but it shows you like things like for instance I'll just pull some of these up like I have one they have uh, one they call the smart stack and it just automatically rotates throughout the day so that's when I play with a lot and that'll include things like news headlines and uh, like featured photos from your photos library um, weather a five day weather forecast um, you know your your reminders they do oh yeah so there's the music widget and yeah there's no play or pause or anything. It's just, you know, it tells you the currently playing song. It's not like they're trying and to keep you staring at your phone all day, is it? Cough, cough. No, no, I never. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but it's, it, it, you know, I, I like these a lot better than I thought I would. Like the, like the photo widget, I thought, okay, yeah, that's kind of stupid. But the, the intelligence built into uh, iCloud photos, you know, and developing the memories and things like that. So uh, it's gotten really good. And so, you know, I'll get like a nice picture of like, you know, one of my kids' birthday parties or, you know, my wife, you know, in the hospital giving birth to one of them or, or something like that. And, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice little thing. And uh, it's actually uh, it's actually, you know, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. I don't, I don't know if it's going to change the game for anyone. Uh, one of the inter- more interesting widgets, I forget the name of it, but basically it's like your uh, I think it's called Siri Suggestions. And it's just like when you pull down search 
and you get those suggested apps like like recent apps, frequently used apps, uh, recently installed apps. Well, you can you can dedicate a space in your home screen to those apps. So, so instead of trying to like put your favorite apps on there, you can just let the the phone figure it out, and uh, you know you have to manage as much. Cool. Cool. That's all we have time for in the first half of the show. We're going to take a commercial break. When we come back in the second half of the show, I want to talk to you about a major piece of work that you just finished. An impressive article. But first, we're going to take a short break. Folks, we'll be back in 60 seconds. Stay with us. I'm talking to Josh Sanders of Titbits. Today, our sponsor is MacPaw. One of MacPaw's apps I want to tell you about today is Clean My Mac X. Clean My Mac X is a beautifully designed application for managing clutter on your Mac. It shows you exactly what's stored on your Mac, revealing app leftovers and system junk that you didn't know existed. The app's most popular feature is Smart Scan. It examines your system for system log files and user cache that is no longer needed. Smart Scan also does a quick malware scan. Time to complete? A few seconds. Designed for Mac OS 10.10 and higher, Clean My Mac X helps speed up even the oldest machines. The maintenance feature offers multiple tweaks to optimize your slow system. An installation takes just a couple of minutes. Clean My Mac X has a trial mode, which allows you to try out the app's features for free and decide whether it works for you. Visit macpaw.com podcast to purchase a subscription and use coupon code BGM2020 to receive 5% off. Click the Buy Now button, then scroll to the bottom of your screen to enter the code before completing your purchase. Clean My Mac X is also now available in the Apple App Store. So check it out. And thanks, MacPaw, for being our sponsor. We're back. I'm chatting with Josh Sinners, the managing editor of Tidbits. So I just saw an article that you pointed me to called Developers versus Apple, Defining Complaints About the App Store. And this is mm-hmm. a major piece of work. It's almost 6,000 words. I put it into BB Edit and let the word count tell me how big it was. <laughs> That's a major, major piece of work. And it's got something like a dozen different sections and categories. And I want to walk through this because I have never seen an article that is so impressive in its scope and covers so many bases regarding the relationship between developers and Apple. So let's get to the major sections. Let's start with that 30% cut thing. All right. And and that, I think that's uh, here just the past couple of days. The timing of the publication, this is really fortuitous. Oh, yeah. Because... Fortnite. It was just, yeah, just as this big fight with Epic Games uh, broke out. But um, now I don't think the thirty percent cut is the major issue. I think you know, and I think most developers agree with that. It's it's the side issue apart from the arbitrariness and overall controlling nature um, of the App Store and the fact that Apple gets between the relationship relationship between the developer and the user, but. The thirty percent cut is is still a pretty significant issue. Um, you know, uh, it was a one of the issues brought up uh, at Congress, and uh, Brent Simmons, who was recently laid off with with some other people at the, from the Omni Group, uh, pinpointed it as one of the causes um, of, of what happened there at Omni, and and so it can't be ignored. And of course, um, it, I think it's really the main thing that Epic is is mad at Apple about. Uh, because you know they, they made half a billion dollars from the just from the App Store in 2018 from Fortnite, so and it just isn't enough money. They're just having to share too much money <laughs> with Apple there. Um, but yeah, so you know, of course, people know if you sell stuff through the App Store, 
you have to pay Apple a 30% cut. And it's the same thing in Google's Play Store, right? Um, and and uh, it's the same for in-app purchases with the exception of multi-year subscriptions. So, you know, if a subscription has been active for more than a year, then Apple just gets a 15% cut after the first year. Um, and, 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 you know, Apple's argument is that, look, we maintain this store. Uh, a lot of people make their livelihood from it. We've created a lot of jobs. We've paid out billions of dollars to developers. Uh, and pocketed you know, billions of dollars. Yeah, but, you know, Apple will say, Apple's take is basically like, we don't even have to have an app store. We don't even have to have apps on the phone. You know, uh, we, <laughs> we're, doing this, we're doing this as a favor to you, right? So, um, uh, so that's the contention. You know, one contention up front is plain old just money. Like Apple takes too much of the money. Um, well, that, now, that's a good point. That intrigues me because you would think after all these years of the App Store, Apple would have adjusted it. In the early days, 30% seemed like, a, you know, a cut at a good answer. Now that Apple's got years and years of experience figuring out the relationship between their profits and the developers' profits, Apple might want to, you know, consider changing that number to, you know, 27% or 24%. Well, it's hard I, I to give up money. It's hard to leave money on the table. But on the other hand, considering well, all the, the friction they've had the, all the, through the years, you think they would adjust the number to please the developers better? Well, one of the bigger issues is all the things developers try to do, well, not just developers, but large companies try to do to get around that 30% cut. And, and, and that kind of leads into a lot of other issues as well. You know, for instance, um, you don't have to skip down too much, but you know one of the things that uh, Tim Cook said before Congress, and, and I'll just be blunt: Tim Cook told a whopper of a lie to Congress. He said that all developers are treated the same, and uh, that's not true. Uh, for instance, Amazon As you has in your article. Yes, yes, Amazon has a special deal. Uh, Apple claims it's not a special deal. They'll claim it's a program open to anyone who can meet the requirements. But the only person, the only company you've ever heard of that meets the requirements is Amazon, and the program was all but secret until Amazon suddenly um, offered purchases in the Amazon uh, Amazon Video app for iOS, which is a thing, and that was a big shock, right? Because I was like, oh man, you, you know, I mean, like for instance, in the Kindle app. Uh, or even the, in the Amazon, the main Amazon shopping app, you cannot buy Kindle eBooks there. You open the Kindle app, you cannot buy Kindle eBooks. That's there. You have to buy Amazon them. doesn't want to give Apple that thirty percent. Right. Well, and also, I mean, and I think Amazon's spoken about this before. They've said, "Look, if we had to give Apple that thirty percent cut, we get a third. Our cut is thirty percent. Like we would have nothing." Uh, so I, you know. So that 30% thing, it's not just the money. There, there are other issues that come from that. So then developers, companies try to figure out ways to get around that, and then they, that breaks into other issues. You know, For instance, one of the things that Apple has tried to do to distinguish certain apps, like, oh, some apps, like, for instance, Netflix doesn't have to sell you a subscription in the app. You open up Netflix, it's just like, sign in. They can't point you to where you can sign up for Netflix, but... That's okay because it's what Apple has de determined is a reader app, which also, and there's no reading involved in Netflix. The same thing applies to Dropbox. It's a reader app. It's merely a consumption app, even though Dropbox is not a consumption app. You know, you actually add things to Dropbox. It's it's interactive, right? So it's a nonsensical distinction. You point that out in the article in several key places, and yeah, uh, and even John Gruber has called nonsense on many of them. Right. Yeah. Even Gruber. Interesting parts of the article is calling out <laughs> Apple on some of the, the things we kind of glossed over. But if you look at it with a fine tooth comb and really look at the logic of it, you find a lot of holes 
and you document mm-hmm. those so beautifully. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things Apple Apple tries to make it seem like they have a coherent policy on, and yeah. they don't. Yeah. You, you know, you have and this came to a head capricious and arbitrary judgments. Yeah, yeah, we can we can talk about that if you like. I mean, this is like I said, it's an enormous article. We could probably spend several hours talking about it. There's there's so many things going on here. Um, We've got six minutes left. <laughs> six minutes. Okay, we'll we'll zip through it in six minutes. So uh, I want I want to focus on this reader app thing because it came to a head recently with the Hey email app. Now, um, Hey is um, I personally think it's absurd. I don't recommend it, but. Um, you know, so they have an app in the iOS store. Hey is a paid proprietary email service. Like you have to pay, like something, like some of those rates are kind of stupid. It's like a hundred bucks a year for your own custom domain or your own custom email address or something like that. It's just nonsense. But you know, some people like it. And Apple banned their app from the store initially because uh, they said, oh, well, people open it up. It's a useless app. They have to allow in-app purchases. And, they, of course, you have to give us a cut. And then people pointed out that, oh, well, yeah, but Netflix does that. Dropbox does that. And Apple's like, well, those are reader apps. This is a business and productivity app. I'm like, what is Dropbox then? You know, and it's just, uh, you know, of course, I go through this in the article. It's just nonsense. It's just a nonsensical distinction. Another thing that came up really recently, and what's funny is after Apple went before Congress, it's like they're doubling down now. Uh, there is a uh, what? Oh yeah, they, they banned uh, game streaming services like uh, Microsoft's XCloud, and uh, well, they're like, well, you know, each game has to be approved individually for the App Store, which which is again a nonsensical distinction. Uh, again, you can compare it to Netflix because they don't approve every single thing Netflix offers. And some of the stuff Netflix offers is interactive, just like a game is. Like uh, Minecraft Story Mode, right? Or um, oh, what was the – there was a Black uh, Black Mirror special that was also interactive. You know, But, you know, you could argue that that's in the same category because, you know, the way these game streaming is – these game streaming services work. It's pretty clever. The game is actually played on a cloud server somewhere. It sends you the video and then it takes your input from your device and sends it to the cloud server. And somehow this works without, you know, with, while still being pretty responsive, you know, and, and the upshot is you can play a, a really advanced game on like a toaster oven because all it has to do, all, all your computer has to do there is just display the video. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, Apple's trying to claim like, oh yeah, that's a totally different thing. Uh, we ban those entirely. Uh, uh, I want to talk about the uh, uh, Charlie Monroe. I want to talk about this Charlie Monroe thing. I don't know if you've oh, covered this. I did. I read about that. Oh uh, man, so so it's uh, absolutely yeah. We talk about this under the arbitrary and capricious. I'm looking this up right now. I'm just I'll make sure I got all the details right. But in terms of arbitrary and capricious. The main example I used was this thing. So Charlie Monroe Software, oddly enough, it's not a guy's name. It's it's just the name of the company. <laughs> but I learned this researching the article. But Charlie Monroe Software, the guy woke up one morning. The guy was not Charlie Monroe. He woke up one, one morning and been informed that he'd been banned from the App Store. Uh, and uh, then, uh, well, even worse, if you had one of this guy's apps, if you open it up, it said, this will damage your computer. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I misspoke. He was never, <clears throat> I don't think he's in the app store. He might be in the app store. But what happened was they didn't pull him from the app store. They pulled his developer account and they canceled his certificates. Okay. And so this the is app a, wouldn't launch. 
Right. In fact, it would tell you this might damage your computer. Please put it in the trash. Right. This is what they did to this guy. He's not, I th- actually, I think his apps are in the app store. But even if you got it, the app from outside the app store, right, they pulled the signing certificate. And so you download it directly from him or you get it from SetApp. He distributes these apps also through SetApp. And it would just tell you, yeah, this is this this is a virus or something. You should trash it. And it turned out that it was a an automated system that just went haywire and flagged his apps as malware. Now, you know, they, they fixed it within a day. They apologized, etc. But, you know, the, the point stands that, you know, this could happen to you at any time and, and your entire business could just go up in a poof of smoke. And, you know, automated systems shouldn't be quite that automated, right? There should have been some kind of human interaction at some point, some sort of human review. And you know, I understand if there's a malware app, you want to shut down fast. Right. But, you know, there should have been some sort of review that day at least. I'm like, oh, wait a second. Now, this guy isn't malware. You know, that, I, I, that could have been handled so much better. Now, I do want to talk very briefly. Uh, I don't know if I have time, but I will talk yeah, very briefly about potential solutions to the App Store issues. So, so I, I mentioned a few uh, solutions. I will start with my favorite one, and that is for Apple to allow sideloading in iOS. Now, this is very controversial. Some people get angry when I bring it up because they love the idea that iOS is locked down. There is no malware, right? Okay, well, there's a couple problems with this. First of all, as I detail in the article, there are still plenty of malicious and scammy apps in the App Store. App, app Review doesn't really do a whole lot to prevent that. Um, secondly, there are procedures in place even on the Mac. You know, the Mac isn't laden with malware, and you can download software from anywhere you want. There's a lot of systems in place, uh, you know, just like the, uh, yeah, the Charlie Monroe thing. Yeah, most people virus protection software on their Macs, whereas they don't run it on the phone. I don't know. I've never ran a virus, any virus on my Mac. I, I don't get the sense that people do. Um, I've, I've never had a problem with malware on my Mac. Um, the uh, it, but now, what's interesting? I wrote this before the the Epic thing came to light. But what's interesting about Epic? I could do a whole show just on the Epic nonsense. So they sue Apple. In fact, they had like a, a propaganda video ready to go. So people don't understand what the Epic thing's about. They slipped in an update with that, just on their end, where they sell their in-game fun bucks uh, without Apple system. Like you can buy it using Apple system, or you can buy it directly through Epic and get a discount. Like total blatant violation of App Store rules. Apple, of course, bans them from the store, even if they are the biggest game in the world, right? And then they immediately launch not just a a campaign video that they have you know just pulled out of thin air <laughs> that's making fun of the nineteen eighty four federal lawsuit. Yes. And, and, and so here's what's funny is they uh, the, the main point of the also they say, we don't want any money. We just want to be able to distribute our apps outside the app store on the iPhone. Like, OK, here's here's what makes that hilarious and shows you how disingenuous Epic is. So they pulled the same stunt with Google in the Play Store. Now, mind you, this is the thing about Fortnite. The first 18 months it was available on Android. They did not distribute in the Play Store. They eventually came to the Play Store, and they were bitterly complaining that, well, Google makes it too hard, which is nonsense because Amazon has their own Android app store. F-Droid, which is an open source project, also has their own Android app store. Sideloading stuff in Android is not that big of a deal. Like, you flip a switch, you might tap a couple of warnings, and it's fine. The problem is people want to go through the main store that's built into the phone, right? So they bitterly come to the Google Play Store. So... 
you might be surprised to know that they, they also sued Google because Google banned them from the apps for, from the, the Play Store for for the same reason that Apple did because they blatantly violated the rules. So I don't even know exactly what they're suing Google over because Google uh, does allow loading. You can load anything you want. If you want to load a virus onto your phone, you're allowed to do that. If you want to load an alternative app store on Android, you're allowed to do that. So the very thing they're suing Apple over and saying they want, Google already offers, and they're getting sued anyway. So you know, side loading may not be the solution. I like to think it is. Cause see, here's my thought on side loading, right? So here's the thing: if you know, Apple offers a side load option, an officially sanctioned one that is. There's there's unofficial ones, but if they offer that, then they can charge what they want. They can have whatever terms they want. They can be arbitrary if they want, and and people don't have a, have a right to complain because you're not forced to do business in that way, right? You're encouraged. You're going to get the best, uh, the, you know, the best marketing there. You're going to get the most exposure there. But then here you have Epic. Who had that option on Android, and they're still not happy. They're suing anyway. Um, I think you're overly you know, optimistic. I think people would uh, happy to, uh, be happy to sideload, and then they would download something that turned out to be dangerous, and then they'd end up blaming Apple, and then they'd say, "Apple, you didn't take care of me." And Apple says, "Well, it's your responsibility." And they and they go, "No, no, no! I'm filing a class action lawsuit." <laughs> Well, people are stupid and litigious. Um, you know, one of the things I say, uh, I think I say this in the article. I'm again, we, we went through a lot of edits. You know, I don't think Apple has to necessarily make that process easy, right, for the average person. Like, I think it'd be perfectly legit to make it so you have to hook up to a Mac and use Xcode and twiddle some bits. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, make. I mean, for real, and and just so people aren't tricked into uh, enabling that. Like, I mean, you can be tricked into that on Android, right? So, um, you know, make it so people aren't tricked into that so easily, and you know, but then have the option. Because, I mean, really, the, the only people really complaining about this are, are people with niche interests, you know, geeks, people, you know, who just fire up about one certain thing or another, um, you know, and have that valve there. But, you know, I, I don't know. But, it's, it, like I said, you have Epic, who has that option on Android, and they're suing anyway. I, don't, I, don't I, even, I need to read they're taking advantage of the recent appearances before Congress and the scrutiny of oh, totally. practices. And they, they said, this is a good time to do this. Yeah, well, and Epic's also taking the, the advantage of the fact that most legislators do not understand the subtleties of what's going on here. I mean, this whole thing was basically... And my son plays Fortnite, and I'm almost about ready to, to just take the game away um, because I don't like how they're doing this. I, I don't like how they're they're basically trying to because kids play Fortnite. It's a kids game. Uh, let's be honest. And, and it's owned by a Chinese company, though. Yeah, that too. But they're they're basically and with this little video they made, they're, they're playing in the game. They're playing their corporate propaganda video against Apple in the game, and they're trying to turn their customer base of children <laughs> in, into being mad at Apple. And I don't appreciate this company trying to turn you know my kid into like a, a child soldier in a corporate war. It's yeah. just ridiculous. Yeah. Well, it's manipulative. We, we have run out of time. All right. <laughs> I, just have, I just have another minute left. I have a question I've been wanting to ask sure. you for a long time, and we'll close it out. Uh, there are rumors, the persistent rumors, that Apple's coming out with a new Apple TV 4K sometime uh -huh. this fall, maybe October. Do you have any insights or thoughts about what a next-generation Apple TV 4K might have? Because the current mm -hmm. one has Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos, and right. it has all, you know, all the bells and whistles. Except it's 60 hertz refresh. 
Yeah, I would um, I would expect a refresh. You know, the old one's getting a little long in the tooth. You know, Apple Arcade games, even on the newer one, can be kind of stuttery. Um, I, I think they'll probably, at the very least, um, you know, come out with one that ha- that has a much more powerful modern processor, um, possibly a new remote, since people hate the Siri remote so much. Um, I wouldn't. What I mean, would a faster Apple's processor pro- give us? Because the current one can do 4K. Right. Well, you know, it, it, for most people, probably not much. It would probably be mostly like a, a, a gaming improvements. Uh, I, I haven't tried the new picture-in-picture feature in TVOS 14, so it might help there. Um, you, you know, it might help with just overall performance. It might allow faster refresh rates. Um, you know, here's the thing. Um, Apple just doesn't put a ton of, of horsepower, doesn't put a ton of bandwidth into Apple TV in general, so I would not expect like a groundbreaking update. Uh, I think what they have now is basically what you're going to get. You'll just maybe get a faster one, um, assuming they even continue the project. Because, I mean, there, you can get Apple content through Roku and through uh, Samsung and through you know all sorts of different app stores. So they may not even keep on with it. But, um, you know, I, 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 I have been telling people, you know, if you think about the Apple TV, maybe hold off and see what they do because i mean these things ain't cheap and uh you don't, you don't want to spend like 200 dollars on a tv box and they come out with just the brand new one especially when the hardware is getting a little long in the tooth or just buy yourself a roku that's what i tell a lot of people to do these days because I, I don't see any real reason not to i like the idea of having a tv os between me and the internet yeah yeah i drive my display from an apple tv I drive my 4K TV as a dumb monitor, and it, it doesn't get on the internet. No smart apps, no Wi-Fi. It just goes into HDMI port, and uh, TVOS does all the heavy lifting, takes care of me, protects me. I like that idea. If Apple gave up on the Apple TV 4K and the successors, I would be very annoyed. Yeah, I'm not sure what they're going to do. They, they don't seem to just invest a ton into it, so... Um uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, I've said for a long time. I've been saying this even back in the third gen Apple TV era, um, before it became a real platform. You know, it's like it's, it's strategic. I, I used to say it was strategically necessary, right? Because you know, once upon a time, if you bought movies from the then iTunes movie store, that was the only way to watch it in your living room, unless you bought like a Mac Mini, right? It's only sanctioned way to watch it in your living room. Um, so, so, but nowadays it's not as necessary because you know, like my Roku has has the Apple TV app. You know, all the, they have Apple TV app on all these different platforms. So, you know, I don't I don't know where they're going with that. I don't know if they, if they're just testing the waters. I don't know if they're just trying to expand their services, or I don't know if they're just thinking like, hmm, could we get rid of making this hardware that doesn't sell especially well? Um, couldn't say. You know, um, my theory is you know, that but, they're going to release one with a 120 hertz refresh. Still 60 hertz, you know, normal NTSC standard, but a high-speed refresh for arcade games. Because I think they're having trouble with the current Apple TV technology supporting some of the advanced arcade games, as you said. And I think that's all the more reason to push Apple Arcade. Yeah, and, and that's a good point, too. You know, they could ship one with a game controller and with an Apple Arcade Focus. Um I mean, it's a possibility. I don't really know. I don't have great insight into it. I mean, at this point, with all the antitrust stuff, and you know, especially with the gaming companies getting mad at them now, like Microsoft and Epic, and uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting a few. Um, you know, uh, they they may not 
they may not push too much into Apple Arcade. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when Judge Lucy Coe uh, smacked them down in Apple Books. They didn't really invest in books for a while, although it seems like they're they're kind of coming back into that. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, heck, John, with the, the, the year we're having, I'm not sure I can predict, you know, three months <laughs> into the future. <laughs> you know, I'm just I'm, I'm still glad we got uh, electronics to play with at this point. Right. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what. Well, let's just leave it there. We'll have to wait and see yeah. how it goes with the Apple TV 4K and its successors. Well, thanks for joining me. It's been an interesting discussion. How very helpful, very informative. Thank you. And thanks for having me on. So tell the listeners how they can contact you if they wish. Oh, OK. Um, you can view my uh my tech articles at tidbits.com, my books at takecontrolbooks.com. If you're into preparedness and prepping and getting ready for whatever the heck's happening this year, uh, you can check out those articles at theprepared.com. I'm on Twitter at jcenters, J-C-E-N-T-E-R-S. Oh, and I recently redid my website at joshcenters.com. You can also check me out there. Great. Okay, well, that'll do it. Folks, you've been listening to John Marcellaro and Tidbits Managing Editor Josh Centers on Background Mode. We'll see you again next week.